I was an event on Thursday night when I was speaking, and we had a lot of people there, and we had a great team who organized everything, and uh, the event ends, and it's about 10 o'clock at night. It's a nice, uh, it's at a nice house, my friend's house in Windermere, and we're just sitting around uh, his little fire, uh, our little leadership team, five or six of us, uh, just kind of sharing some of the stories and a little bit uh, exhausted, kind of slumping uh, in our chairs. And some other members of our team came up and said, hey, I need some help uh, moving all this stuff to my car. Is there anyone who can help? I don't know if you've been in situations like that when you, you kind of feel like you should help, but you don't want to. So all of us just kind of like slouched down a little bit more. <laughs> And started looking down, and then there's one guy, he's new to our team, in his 20s, he says, oh, I'll help. And as soon as he says, I'll help, all of us kind of said, oh, me, me. Oh, you got it taken care of? That's good, right? <laughs> you, you know that dynamic? Tra Tracy and I experience it whenever we go out to, uh, for a meal with their parents, right? Um, you know, uh, would you like one check or two? Oh, one check, one check, one check. Uh, who, who, who wants the check? And there's this pause, and then Tracy's dad says, Oh, I'll take it. We're like, no, 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 let me. No, okay, you got it. Okay, right? <laughs> right? And we kind of know of this, this false availability, right? Where, where we like to think that we're available to help. We like to think that we're available to God. But the reality is we don't always want to be as available as we think we'd like to be available, right? That is not Esther's story. So in the book of Esther, and what I want to do over the next 20 minutes is just kind of give you an overview of the whole book and point out a few ways that she was available to God. She was fully, faithfully, on the front foot, available to God. So in the land, there's a king. This is a king who likes to party and has some very undisciplined parties. And so in Esther chapter 1, it talks about this one party. Uh, it says they're on day 7 of all the wine, and he's starting to have some fun. Part of me is thinking, day 7? <laughs> this, is, this is quite a binge. And he's kind of in his drunken stupor, and he uh, wants to show off his wife, Queen Vashti, who's a very beautiful lady. He wants to say to his buddies, hey, look at my wife. She's, she's the fairest in the land. And so he summons his wife to come to the party. But his wife, Queen Vashti, is having her own party. <laughs> and she doesn't want to be defined by uh, being this trophy wife. So she said, I'm not coming to your party. And the king gets upset about this. And uh, he doesn't know how to handle this. Because it doesn't look good on him, and it's not feeding his ego, and it's not giving him the, the strokes that he thinks he needs. And so he goes to his counselors, this is all in Esther chapter 1, and says, what am I going to do? My wife is rebelling against me. And the counselors, I imagine, huddle in this little room and say, oh man, this is a, this is a real problem. Uh, we think you should distance yourself from her. So he says, okay. And he divorces the queen. So here he is, kind of stuck alone on his own, this powerful man who doesn't have a wife, and he doesn't know what to do, so he decides that he's going to hold a beauty contest to find his next wife. He is king over 127 provinces. Surely there's a 
There's a wife there for me. So he puts out this, this decree. Holding a beauty contest. Um, you know, come apply. Somehow this news of this beauty contest gets into the ears of a guy called Mordecai. Now Mordecai is a good man. He's one of the Jews in the region. He's faithful to God. And while we don't know too much about him, we know that he has a heart for the poor and the destitute and the orphans. And he has adopted this young lady called Esther. Before Esther was adopted by Mordecai, she was in trouble. She had no family, no prospects, no opportunity, no hope. And so she goes to live with her cousin Mordecai and his family. But Mordecai is still not quite sure how he's going to uh, help him, what opportunities she has. And so he says to her, Esther, you know, um, you know, I'm not, not, not quite sure what, what, what's going to happen. You know, we've, if you will, kind of put our kids through college and we're kind of out of money for you and, you know, don't, don't know what to do. But I've just got this flyer about this opportunity from the king who's looking for a queen. Are you interested? Now, it's not a great option, but she doesn't have any options. And so she says, sure. I'll take it. So we're in Esther chapter 2 right now. The first thing that Esther does in terms of her availability is she said, I'll give it a go. I'll try. Mordecai gives her a little bit of advice beforehand. He says, hey, Esther, because you're Jewish, you may not want to mention that when you go through this, this, this contest, Right? because that may not reflect well on you. It says in Esther chapter 2 at verse 10, that as Mordecai dropped her off, for days he kept walking by the palace to see her in the courtyard. He's not, not sure if this is the ultimate opportunity for her, but it's an opportunity and he doesn't just want to kind of throw her to the wolves, so he keeps like a good parent who's letting their kid go off, just, just kind of letting her uh, learn and letting her grow, but keeping an eye on her. And so for six months, she goes through all these beauty treatments. And she goes through all this training to be a king, a queen, And then kind of how it works is that all these uh, contestants get to spend some time with the king. The king had looked at people, had had a meal with some people, had probably done some inappropriate things with these folks. And it comes to Esther, and Esther walks through the door, and he's smitten. He, he converses with her. He looks at her. 
He notices her personality, and he says, that's the one. And just like that, the king falls in love with Esther, kind of head over heels in love. So, so much so that it says in Exodus chapter 2, about verse 18, that he was so enamored by her that he freed his provinces from tax payments. And he gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. He's saying, man, this, I'm so happy. I'm so deliriously uh, kind of in love with this lady that I'm going to cancel taxes for a little bit. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> if any of you become king and you're, you're single and we'll, we'll help you cut taxes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this lady goes from having nothing to being the queen of the land. Doors were closed, went to doors being opened because she made herself available to this. Now, she could have said, no, I don't want to. Mordecai could have said, no, this isn't for you. There was no guarantees that this was going to work. There was no guarantee that this was a, a, a good process at all. But she said, God, I'll, I'll give it a go. She said yes to an opportunity that was before her. She became available to capture an opportunity when she didn't have any. I was talking to someone the other day who is holding out for, uh, who, who's unemployed. He's holding out for a big salary and a big career. And I was able to find him a job that was way below what he was looking for. And it wasn't the arena he was looking for, but it was a job. And he had nothing. And he was starting to lose stuff. And I said, well, hey, here's something. It may not be the opportunity you want, but it's something. Just do something. And he's still waiting to decide whether he can do that. If you've got nothing, sometimes it's best to do something, right? You avail yourself to the opportunity. And she said yes to the opportunity. She availed herself to what was before her. And something came of it. Two, two, two thoughts that strike me about her availability initially. First of all, she said yes, rather than saying no. I believe that for many of us, there are times that we say no when we should be saying yes, and because we say no, we miss out on opportunity, right? We need to become better at people who saying yes. You know, again, Thursday night, I, I, I tried to say yes. <laughs> but we need to be quick at saying yes. There are so many doors ahead. There are so many opportunities. There is so much that God wants to accomplish through us. 
But far too often we say no to those things. No, it's too hard. No, I don't want to. No, I want to hold out. The people of God need to be the people of yes because God is with us, right? Second thing that strikes me about this story is that so often as Christians, we're we're known for not being available. And we're known for uh, what we're against more than being known for what we're for, right? If you were to walk up to someone in the, uh, in, in the store who had nothing to do with the church and said, hey, tell me what you know about church, they would probably, first of all, list what they, were, what they thought the church was against rather than what they thought the church was for, right? Shame on us for that. Because as the people of God, we're supposed to be the most uh, positive, the most uh, loving, the most caring people that, that there are. We are people who are available to God so that God can use. The first thing about Esther's availability was that she said yes to opportunities before her. There may be opportunities ahead of you. If not now, there will be. And I encourage you to prayerfully think what God could do if you say yes, rather than just closing the door on no. Does that make sense? So she's in the palace. She's marrying the king. A few other things are happening around the story. First of all, there's a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai, uh, her adopted dad slash cousin, pulls her aside and warns her about that. And the king checks it out, and they find out that this this plot is true. And because it's true, Mordecai has actually saved the king's life. That gets important later on in the story. Also at this time, uh, we're introduced to the king's assistant, Haman. And he's got a big ego, and he expects all the Jews to bow to him and respect him. But the Jews aren't going to do this, and his ego gets bruised a little bit. In fact, it gets bruised to the point that he wants to create a plot to kill all the Jews in all the provinces. This is a scary time for the Jews, for for God's people, right? Because the leader of the country is now standing against them and is plotting a plan to destroy them. And so we jump to Esther chapter 4 to see what's happening here. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city, and cried loudly and bitterly. He was in fear of his life. The Jewish people were looking to him as a leader, and he didn't know what to do. So he prays. And then he realizes that his cousin is one who can actually do something about this. There was great mourning among the Jews. Uh, They fasted, they wept, they lamented. But Mordecai got a message through Esther's servants about what was happening. And it says in Esther chapter 4 verse 4, that when she heard this, Queen Esther became overcome with fear. 
Because if the Jews were going to be killed, and it was found out that she was a Jew, then she'd be in trouble as well. But despite being full of fear, it says, she sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he didn't do any, but he would not accept them. She summoned a mediator, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what was, he was doing and why. And they entered this conversation through an intermediary. And I love the fact that even though Esther was full of fear, she still did the right thing. She had enough courage to use her life to make a difference. She was available to be used by God to do what needed to be done where it needed to be done. You, you know, so, so many of us, right, we don't do things, we say no to difficult things. And we say, I'll become courageous when the fear leaves. That's not how courage works, right? Esther says, I'm in this place, I'm a little bit afraid, but I'm going to courageously push through the fear. Because for whatever reason, God has put me in a place where I can make a difference. She was available to the opportunity before her. But then when she was in that place, she used and took the opportunity before her and made herself available to be used by God. They went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And as they're coming to the end of the conversation, she kind of says, hey, I'm out. This is just too scary for me. So Mordecai sends back another note and says, hey, look, if you don't stand up, we got, we got no hope. He actually says, God will make a way, but I don't know how God is going to make a way if he doesn't use you. And Esther thinks to herself and realizes the phrase that she's become famous for. Perhaps God put me here for such a time as this. And so she says, yeah, God, okay. I'll avail myself. I'll avail my position, my authority, my stuff to be used by you to save my people. And she says, if I perish, then I perish. She, she's saying, my, God, my, my life, everything I have is, is given by you. And while there's something inside of me that really wants to hold on to it, I'm going to avail what I have, where I am, who I am to you. She was available to take up the opportunity. But then she became available to use where she was for the purposes of God. I want to remind you that because of who we are, we are in a privileged position. We have influence. We have opportunity to make a difference in this world. We have the power of God inside of us. We have a world that doesn't know it, but they're looking to the church and says, hey, if the church doesn't respond here, there's not a response anywhere else. 
God has put us in a place. He has given us means and resources, and we have a responsibility to use those means and resources to help those who don't. We must avail our stuff, avail our position, avail our privilege to help others. That's what she did, and that's what she, she did so well. She said, God, I, I don't know if I want to take this opportunity, but she availed herself to the opportunity. God used that to put her in a place of influence, and in that place of influence, she said, God, I want to use my influence to help others, to make a difference, to save lives. If I perish, I perish. If the cost is my life, then so be it. Because, God, I want to be available to you. Esther is a very smart lady. She knows that she can't just approach the king and say, hey, you need to do this. So she uses her wisdom and plots a plan. A couple of other things that are happening in the the story right now. God opens up the door for her to meet with the king. And again, when she walks in, because the king's smitten by her, he says, you know, Esther, what, what, what do you want? Anything, can I give it to you? And she says, I want to throw a banquet. I, I want to honor you and, uh, and bring your right-hand man, Haman, with us, and we'll, uh, we'll celebrate together. And the king goes, that's a great idea. I love that. Well, this is happening. The king is looking through some of the history books. And he remembers that there was this guy called Mordecai who had given some information to Esther that actually saved his life. And in the middle of the night, he starts thinking, um, I I don't know if I remembered to honor Mordecai for what he's doing. He he doesn't know of Haman's plot to kill the Jews. He says, "Uh, you know, this is this guy and he saved my life and I need to honor him. And so he calls... uh, his assistant in and says, look, there's someone in the kingdom who needs honoring, who I need to say thank you to because he's done so much for. I want to parade in his honor. You know what Haman's thinking? It's me. (laughs) His ego was, was so big that when the king talks about honoring him, he thinks that he needs to be in the front of the line. A few weeks ago, we had a, a fundraiser for Christian help, and I'd been asked to be the MC. And uh, Doug was kind of like managing the, the thing, and Doug did a great job of telling me where I need to be when, saying what I needed to say when, the whole thing, right? We had it scripted out, didn't we? It was, it was, it was beautiful. We're getting ready to start, and Tracy comes up to me and said, hey, there's an award in that back room that has a little post-it note on that says, Andy, maybe you're supposed to take that in with you. And I thought, honey, I I think you're missing something here. Because Doug's gone over everything, and he didn't mention an award, and it's quite possible that that award might be for me. (laughs) I mean, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Doug would never miss an important detail like that. So, so maybe I'm getting presented with something here. <laughs> this big bell, right, for being awesome. You know what I'm talking about, Doug, right? 
And so I go in and I'm sitting and I'm doing my thing and, you know, it is what it is. And just before the awards section, someone comes and they put that bell under my chair and said, hey, would you present this when Vicky makes the award? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. That was my Heyman moment, right? <laughs> so Heyman's ego is hurting because the very person that he hates and he wants to kill is going to be honored by the king. And so they have this banquet the next day. Esther has thrown it. Everything's perfect, I imagine. The king's there and Haman's there. And this is her moment. This is her third availability. She's available to take the opportunity, right? She's available to use her influence and her position to make a difference. But now, arguably, she does something even harder. She's available to God to be used by God to speak truth to power. Because power is causing an injustice. You don't have to look very far back in history to see that too much power very quickly causes injustice. It is not the powerless who cause injustice, it's the powerful, right? And so if we want to be used by God to solve some of the issues of injustice in the world, we have to learn to speak truth to power. But she's fearful and she's afraid, but she's the only one with this opportunity, and therefore she becomes very, very courageous. One of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies is uh, this little kid. It's in the movie about a zoo. You guys seen that movie? And this guy, and maybe I appreciate the scene so much because I relate. He's like 13 years old, and he wants to ask this girl out, but he's scared to death. And that was my teen years. (laughs) And his dad said to him, hey, son, all you need is 30 seconds of insane courage, and then you'll know whether she wants to date you or not. And it's like in this moment, Queen Esther, right? She summons up this 30 seconds of insane courage and she walks up to the king's table where he's there with his right-hand man and she said, (gasps) it doesn't say that, but I imagine that's how it went, right? (laughs) And she says, king, there's a plot to kill my people. I'm a Jew. There are Jews in every one of your provinces and they're going to be killed. The king is stunned. What are you talking about? You're my wife. I love you. I canceled taxes for you. <laughs> now, again, she's got an opportunity to walk away, right? But she's not courageous just a little. She wants to be courageous with the whole thing. So she says, oh, yeah, and the guy who did it is right there. <laughs> Man, that's a way to ruin a banquet. <laughs> And all of a sudden it says in Esther chapter 7 that the, the blood just drained out of the assistant. And the king didn't know what to do and he walked out to the garden and he started to 
uh, to, to, to think things through, right? Here's this dilemma. Here's this, this woman who he loves who has obviously been used by God and has become very vulnerable to him. And then here's his right-hand man who, uh, you know, who he trusts. While he's outside thinking, they get into this little dispute between uh, Haman and, and Esther. And Haman knows he's in trouble, and he knows he's wrong, and he knows he's been caught. So he doesn't run. He doesn't fight. He falls to his knees and starts to beg, please don't have me killed. Please don't, don't have me killed. The scripture is pretty graphic about this, but he actually kind of gets on, on, on the floor kind of begging before Queen Esther. And as he's on the floor begging, the king walks in and the picture looks very suspicious. And the king in this moment, because he sees the assistant begging, has him arrested. They put a bag over his head and the story goes on to say that he died ironically on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And the Jews are saved. And the story of God's love for humanity gets to continue because Esther was courageous enough to speak truth to power. This orphaned girl who had no options, no way forward, saved the Jewish people because she availed herself to God. God, there's an opportunity before me. It may not be the best opportunity, but I got no other opportunity, so I'm going to take it. And she got there. And she realized that she had some privilege. And with privilege comes great responsibility, right? And she says, I'm going to use my responsibility to help the unfortunate, to help the lost, to help those who are victims of injustice. And she said, God, use my position, use my station, use who I am. And God says, okay. And she avails herself before the most powerful man in the land. And she summons all the courage she can. And she speaks truth to power. And as she speaks truth to power, the systems of injustice and pain start to crumble. And things change. And God's story and his work and his influence continue because she availed herself to God. What could God do in our world that is riddled with injustice, that is corrupted on every side by power struggles, where people are hurt and lost and broken and making things worse every day, if 
we as the people of God would avail ourselves to God. God, help me to take the opportunities. God, help me to use who I am to help the underserved. God, help me to be courageous, to speak truth to power, so that that which is wrong can be broken. And that which is right and holy and pleasing to God can be established. Esther is a hall of famer because she availed herself to God. 